You're listening to Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Welcome back to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing, and I'm joined by my co-host, Professor Americus Reed, the Whitney M. Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and the Brand Identity Theorist. And this is our Spotlight segment. And today, I'm very happy to announce that for our spotlight guests, we are thrilled, and I mean this quite sincerely, after reading this biography of this person, I am humbled and very pleased that she is on our show. So I'm very thrilled to welcome Melissa Proctor, who's the Executive Vice President and the Chief Marketing Officer of NBA's Atlanta Hawks and State Farm Arena. Melissa is also the author of From Ball Girl to CMO. Melissa, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is super cool. So I'm just grateful that you guys reached out. Happy to chat. All right. So let me, before we just jump into this, Barbara, we're excited, Melissa, because uh, the Atlanta Hawks and the Philadelphia 76ers are in a war right now. And (laughs) by the time this airs, uh, we will have decided a critical game four uh, where either the series will be tied or the Hawks will find themselves in a pretty treacherous position. So, you know, this is an opportunity to put the good luck, the good vibes out there. Uh, we are excited because anytime we're still alive in the playoffs in Philadelphia, you know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're gassed up about that. But we are also, as to Barbara's point, extremely excited and humbled to have you on the program to talk through some of the marketing, the strategy, the branding, all this cool stuff that we think about at Marketing Matters with respect to how it plays out for a sports team. Yeah. yeah. The, the one thing I can't control is wins and losses. <laughs> that I know. Well, that's good because <laughs> being a very strong Philly fan, I'm uh, in a mixed position here. But, you know, to what America's <laughs> just said, and um, I'm quite sincere in being humbled by looking at your background. I, I wonder if you'll share with people some of the things you've you know, how you've gotten to where you've gotten to, because, well, let me let you tell it in your own words, but it's a very interesting background and mixed um, talents that uh, I can't say anymore. You start. Tell us. Absolutely. I feel like a lot of people are like, so, you know, what did you know what you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? I was like, I still don't know what I want to be (laughs) right now today talking to you guys. Mm -hmm. But um, as a kid, I was an artist, you know, drawing and painting and my paintings all over my house. And I remembered, you know, in like kindergarten, first grade, my mom was encouraged for me to do art. And so I went to magnet middle school and high school in Miami, focused on visual arts, drawing, painting. And when I was around 15, I told my mom I wanted to get a job. So all my friends were getting their first jobs. And so she said, okay, Mel, she's from Belize. She said, okay, you can get a job in whatever you want to do for the rest of your life. And so at 15, I told her I wanted to become the, fir- the first female coach in the NBA Wow. I just started watching basketball with one of my cousins and I never saw any women on the sidelines. So this was wow. before female refs and women were allowed in the locker room. And so my mom said, okay, go get a job in the NBA. I don't even think she knew what NBA stood for, <laughs> but that was the beginning. So I started writing letters to the Miami heat, making wow. phone calls. I would draw artwork on all the letters to kind of stand out. Huh. I didn't know that I was branding myself at the time or what branding was. Mm-hmm. Um, and got a call back from an equipment manager. And he's like, hey, kid, if you call me one more time, I'm not going to hire you. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> persistent. And uh, you know, I kept on calling after a while. And then one day he said, you know, you got a lot of heart. 
uh, let me tell you what this is. And this is a volunteer job. It doesn't pay. It's mopping up sweat, it's folding towels. It's coming early. It's staying late. And that I mentioned it doesn't pay. And I, <laughs> I was like, I don't care. You know, at that point I was so invested and my mom gave me no option. That was wow. the only job I could get. Wow. And so uh, eventually he called me in and I went to a preseason game. And that was the beginning of my career in sports as the first ball girl. On wow. the and we had boys at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was tremendous. And so from there, I ended up going to Wake Forest on an art scholarship. Before you get um, into your arts career. So when yeah. you were so interested in getting into sports, were you an athlete? Did you No, play I never played play? a day in my life. I was in oh, art really? school. So like yeah. I, I started a basketball club in my high school, but it was just passion as a fan and watching the game. Mm. And I, I obviously now much later on, never having played, it'd be super hard to coach mm. in, in some capacity, <laughs> not knowing a lot of things. But at the time I knew none the better and I'm grateful for it. Right. Um, but it was phenomenal. And even at Wake Forest in undergrad, I would volunteer with the women's basketball team, with the football team, just trying to be around sports. And every summer mm. mm-hmm. I would go back to Miami to volunteer with the heat and the draft and free agency just to understand more about the business of basketball. Mm. And my senior year at Wake Forest, I said, great, I'm going to get a job in the NBA because that was the direction. And I applied for a management training program and they turned me down and told me I was too creative. And then, oh, wow. What an insult. <laughs> absolutely. And I was going to stay at grad school at Wake Forest. And, and Wake said, oh, you know, you're using this as a crutch and we love you. So we're not going to give you the opportunity. And so they turned me down, too. Interesting. And not knowing where else to go, I heard about an internship at Turner Broadcasting here in Atlanta. Didn't yep. know what Turner was, didn't watch a ton of TV. <laughs> and um, all it said was, send us your talent in a project. And I was so intrigued by that. And so I designed a magazine, a TV guide, all oh, about, wow. mm, who was my brand at the time, Melissa Marie McGee was my maiden name. And that was it. And so I made this magazine and I made myself as Cleopatra in a Turner Classic movie ad. <laughs> I made myself a ball girl in an NBA on TNT ad. I made myself a black Powerpuff girl for Cartoon Network. <laughs> and ultimately- That's amazing. Turner said, you sold yourself so well to us. We think you would do an amazing job of selling our content to consumers. Mm-hmm. And that was my first marketing job ever. Didn't take a marketing class in college. Mm-hmm. And that was it. So for about 11 years, I was at Turner Broadcasting and every job I'd raise my hand, take on stuff no one else wanted to do. Wow. I left for a year, went to grad school in London at Central St. Martin's mm-hmm. College of Art and Design, which was super cool. A one-year master's, great excuse to live abroad. Mm-hmm. Got to work in Turner's UK offices there and corporate responsibility. Excellent. And ultimately, about 11 years, I went from ter- trainee to VP at, at Turner. Wow. And the final position That's incredible. I was in there was, Amazing. Was awesome... I guess you weren't too creative. Huh? <laughs> you know, sure. Turner was about creativity. At the time, yeah. the yeah. it wasn't. They're all about yeah. it now. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> but, you know, my, my final job there was uh, helping to launch a digital health and wellness startup called Upwave, which was super cool. I was the vice president of marketing and content. And I had a lot of mentors that said, don't take that job. You know, Turner is not great at launching new digital businesses, but I didn't care. I wanted to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. And about six months after we launched the, the network, was a network and an app. Um, I was eight months pregnant uh, with my daughter. And then one CEO left, a new CEO came in and I got laid off. Mm. I You're no kidding. Clue, man, no clue what I was going to do with my life, but I had bigger things to do, obviously, and give birth. Um, and so I had my daughter. And then about two months later, I ended up going to then Phillips Arena as a fan for an NBA draft party and ran into one of my old mentors from Turner who left to be CEO for the Hawks. Didn't know he was there, didn't communicate in advance. And he, you know, saw me, introduced me to some members of the leadership team. They all knew me. And then he said, hey, would love for you to come on board and help me build this brand. Because he remembered 
during my internship at Turner that very first year, I was also a ball girl on the court for the Hawks because I made no money as an intern. So I called mm-hmm. my old boss in the heat to me with someone at the Hawks and I was the ball kid. So it's really kind of full circle now being wow. with the Hawks organization over the past, wow, almost six, seven years um, to now obviously coming in as a vice president of brand strategy, having a number of different roles through business strategy, general marketing, and now as overall chief marketing officer. And it's been a, a, a fun ride. I'm Barbara Kahn, and this is Marketing Matters, and we're joined by Melissa Proctor, who's the Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer of NBA's Atlanta Hawks and State Farm Arena. She's also the author of the book, From Ball Girl to CMO. And Melissa was just telling us about her very varied and interesting and resilient, I must say, background to get to the position of where she is now. But now we are at where you are now. So you can you tell us a little bit about what that job is, what you Mm -hmm. do, what your strategy is? And also to build on Barbara's question, tell us, because I'm just fascinated by this, Barbara, the fact, Melissa, that you are a bona fide artist. Tell us how that creativity, we understand how you got noticed because of it, but tell us how that creativity, that artist gene that you have helps you out in doing the jobs that you are about to describe for us. You know, it's, it's interesting because every time I think about it, I don't get to paint anymore. I mean, other than painting with my now seven-year-old daughter every now and then, um, I really look at my ability as an artist in terms of how I creatively approach business challenges. And so when most people see it's from A to B, I see Z, Q, and F. And I said, wow, there's a million different ways to get there. Let's look at wow. juxtaposed worlds. Let's, let's look at you know, how other industries are doing things. And then let's flip it on its ear to do something in a different direction. Um, and so I'm very, that's very much my approach strategically across the board. Um, and I appreciate it. It's really pulling from culture and all these other things and not just looking at it from a historic you know, academic sense. And so day to day, I have about nine different groups that report into me. So everything from advertising and promotion, all social, mobile, um, email, direct response, in addition to our creative. So we put together our video production team and our creative team to form Hawk Studios, which is our ah. internal agency, which is nice. super cool. And I'm really passionate about the work that they've done. So was um, your Turner background useful in that piece of it? A hundred percent. I actually did a similar role while at Turner, um, right out of grad school and helping to speak the language of marketing and creative. Cause a lot of times they don't speak the same language. No, and that's I had true. a sense of being able to do both and understanding the challenges of a creative and understanding the needs of a marketing department and being able mm-hmm. to put those together in a way where everyone kind of understands the, the unique business challenges. Mm-hmm. And so um, in addition to that, the, brand merchandising or retail group. We do all of that in-house. So our e-com strategy, managing our stores, all of that is within uh, my world. And I partner closely with our head of PR on a department we call brand communications, which is really corpcom, but mm-hmm. everything away from the basketball team. So a lot of that, you know, PR, whether it's releases, influencer strategies, helping to book artists for games. Uh, in addition, over a couple of years ago, I added on basketball programs. So a lot of our camps and clinics that we're doing for mm. youth within the city of Atlanta awesome. and uh, corporate social responsibility. Nice. So all of our, all of our community work that we're doing, and it's tremendous when it all comes together, being aligned uh, wow. throughout the marketing organization to me has really been the difference maker in what we do. Very, very cool stuff. Melissa, a quick question for you. I'm fascinated by this. First of all, amazing background. I love your story. I, it's just amazing uh, and very, very inspiring. But I want to I sort of talk a little bit about how you view 
the Hawks brand because as a, as a sports, as a sports team, you know, you have a mascot, you have players that come and go, you have big stars, little stars, medium stars, you know, you have a a geography that's probably culturally rooted. So how do you think about if someone were to ask Melissa, what's the Hawks brand? What would your answer be? To you ask your question, what's the identity? What's what's the positioning? I agree. It's very interesting. I see you were talking more generally about what the job entails. And now Americus is pushing you to tell us exactly what your DNA is. You know, that's so awesome because when I first came on board and like helped define what the Hawks were, we took a step back and looked at every piece of proprietary data we had internally, looked at census data, where the world was going, you know, uh, ticket sales data, corporate partnerships information, looking at industries and trends. And at the end of the day, I realized that what the organization was, was a sports team trying to be all things to all people. Mm. And at the end of the day, that's not how you build a brand. (laughs) (laughs) For us, you know, we went through a really interesting time and kind of defined us as this mantra of being true to Atlanta. And that meant so many different things to different people. But the beauty of it for us was the, the city of Atlanta is culturally so rich and there's so much authenticity within this city. So to really tap into it, people are moving to Atlanta every day. I'm a transplant. I came from Miami. I've been here 20 years. So I feel like I'm an ATLian. But at the same time, there's so much history that we can really pull from in building our brand as an organization. And we really had to hone in on our target audience. So you can be all things. We said, who are we especially for? And that was the most important piece. So we said, we are for next generation Atlantans. Mm. It wasn't a Gen Z, wasn't a millennial play. It was next generation. What does that mean? I'm from Miami. I now have a daughter that was born here in Atlanta. If I'm from Miami and I'm a Heat fan, if I'm from New York, I'm a Knicks fan. There's very little I could do to change that allegiance. Mm -hmm. However, when you have kids here, they can either pull the allegiance from their parents or you can give them a reason for being. And so we really wanted to be for generation next in Atlanta. Oh, that's so cool. That's a really interesting idea. Very cool. Because that's, we have an, we have an opportunity for a generational fan building strategy. So if we start with the youth, we can grow it up, you know, over time. And obviously the population has expanded, census data is growing. And we look at, you know, the demographic makeup of the city, it's incredibly multicultural. Mm -hmm. So leaning into that instead of away from that for other reasons is very much of how we've been able to do that. And Atlanta is the center of pop culture for the world, in my personal opinion. And so being that we are true to that, mm-hmm. that is really what everything else flows from. Even when we were redoing our arena, when it was Phillips Arena, we went through a two or three year grand, uh, arena transformation to now State Farm Arena. And mm-hmm. for that, we said, how do we embody true to Atlanta in a building? And that was the coolest assignment because it was local artists working with people like Killer Mike. He mm. has swag shop, barbershops all yes. around the city. We brought one yes. into our arena. Like, oh, wow. Atlanta, can you do that? So you can get your hair cut by a barber and watch the game at the same time. Part uh, of the old lady game um, from Candy Burrs from Real Housewives. Like there were so many things that were that's unique to our city. And we needed to make sure that you couldn't take our arena and put in any other city because it wouldn't make sense in Philly. It wouldn't make sense in Milwaukee, but in Atlanta, it hits on everything. And that is the important part of what we built. Wow. And I got to guess this Martin Luther King initiative plays right into what you're talking about, right? Yeah. I mean, almost four years ago now when I was in the role of CMO and sat down with Nike and they've introduced the City Edition program and really trying to figure it out the first couple of years. That was the first year I said, we want to do something that is important to our city historically, but also to our team. And every year um, the Hawks do MLK Day games really big. It's normally a day game. We have a gospel choir that does intros and you know, we oh. partner a lot with the King family and the King estate on, you know, basketball courts in the city programs in the community. 
But I said, how do we get a uniform to really help tell that story to our next generation audience? And mm-hmm. working with the King of State, one of the most important things for them was how do we educate the next generation on the teachings of Dr. King? Mm-hmm. And so it was a perfect unity between our target audience and what we want to be as an organization. And little did I know, almost four years ago in developing that idea with Nike, it took three years for it to happen. But then it launched last summer in the cultural climate of everything that happened last summer. Oh my pandemic, God, I didn't put that to There was timing. no way that we could have imagined that. So much so that the Pope is requesting a uniform and wants to bless it. Like, <laughs> he couldn't have bought that promotion. You know, there's nothing. Right. But it was so... It was authentic to us as an organization, to our brand, to our city. And the mm. timing was fantastic. And not to mention the team has been 10 and one wearing them. Yeah. Even now <laughs> in the we didn't have a plan to wear them in the playoffs. When we had the conversations, everyone was like, we got to keep going. The players are like, we got to wear it. And so totally. it's a sense of pride for me. And probably one of the high points in my career, being able to create that from the beginning to where it is now. You know, you're almost making me root for you tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's, we'll a, that's a big deal. We'll be that's... wearing our MLK jerseys tonight, too. So, you know, probability says we should get a W. It. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'd love to see this gold seven, man. Just, you know, full on out war. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But y- y- here's something that's interesting that I want you to comment on, Melissa. And it, it's something that we talk about a lot in the notion of loyalty. And I my hypothesis would be that because you're so tuned into a very powerful and robust targeting and authenticity around building into that DNA that I would guess that the, the loyalty of the fans are probably not correlated with how well the team's doing. Uh, oh, talk about that. Question. You know yeah. what it's, So it's, it's sort of like, it's trying to get to that level of like the Chicago Cubs. Just so no matter what happens, the people just, they, they love it. And they're just going to eat, sleep, breathe Hawks. Talk a little bit about that. You know, it's, it's interesting because that Atlanta market is, is it's awesome. And it's interesting. I see it from a personal consumer perspective. Atlanta loves new Atlanta loves winners. Atlanta loves swag. Like it's very much the DNA of the city. Um, however, from a loyalty perspective, we wanted to build a brand. I, like I said, I don't, I don't control wins and losses. I don't control who's on the team. And so right. if I were to really build a brand strategy around a particular player, if that player is traded or leaves the organization. That's what I was going to ask you also, because nothing. it's so much. A lot of the NBA is so much personality. I mean, I was in Miami when LeBron was down there about the decision. So, <laughs> I mean, it was all about personality. And, and to move away from that star driven. We are in a star-driven league. But to have a star like Trey Young on our team has been tremendous because he embodies next generation Atlanta. Big time, you know, just, big time. Even his size, his stature, the way he plays, his swag, his, you know, like he does that on his own. So it really ties in nicely with our brand. It helps to elevate it on all fronts. But when it comes time to, you know, do things like uh, our camps and clinics around the city, making sure that we're also dialed into all of the different demographics throughout the city and where we go and what we do is important. So there's a sense of loyalty that we built, especially during the pandemic, it was, we wanted to go to, you know, neighborhoods that were food insecure and do pop-up grocery stores, whether it was, you know, voting oh. was probably the single biggest community activation we've ever done. And it was out of need. Ooh, we needed a place to gather people together. And we had that in the city where they could social distance. And we had a young uh, employee base that could be trained on how to run the ballot machines. And so it was so pertinent that we were able to do that work at that time. But that's how we build the loyalty. Mm-hmm. Wins and losses, like I said, I can't control, but there are a lot of other things that we can. 
I'm Barbara Kahn, and this is Marketing Matters. We're joined by Melissa Proctor, who's the Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer of NBA's Atlanta Hawks and State Farm Arena. And Melissa is also the author of the From Ball Girl to CMO. And given I just said that, Melissa, I'm curious, what made you write a book on top of all these other things? Amazing. Amazing. It was like five years in the process. I said, you know, I, I... had so many questions for my mother after I had my daughter. My mom had passed away years before. And so I said, you know, God forbid anything happens to me. I want my daughter to know my story from me. And so that began as I'll write a blog on Medium or I'll, you know, I, t- I t- do a lot of presentations. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, you should write a book. You should write a book. <laughs> I was like, no, maybe one day I will. I didn't really think too much about it. But a chance meeting with a local publisher called Mind Matters Publishing was amazing. And the woman, Renita Bryant, who leads that, said, hey, you know, we can help. And so in sitting down and having a partner to actually help me go through the process was amazing. But at the end of the day, <laughs> when I finished writing the book, we went through all the edits. I was like, okay, I'm done. And she was like, you're finished. And I was like, okay, cool. I have a book for my daughter. She's like, well, how are you going to market it? She's like, I don't want to ask. You're a CMO. And I was like, I <laughs> that wasn't even in my thought process. But, yep. mm-hmm. you know, so much of it was the reason for being and to be able to inspire or help educate others on missteps that I've made or you know, points that I've learned on my journey that have helped me has really been the goal. And so I'm grateful that it's helped a bunch of people, which is super cool. Wow, that I, I, that's awesome. I, I love this, Melissa. I want to get quick, quick response to this. There's, there's a team in Atlanta called the Atlanta Braves. There's another team uh, in there called the Atlanta Falcons, right? There, there's a hockey team that I wish I knew. It was exactly. Uh, do you ever c- coordinate with your colleagues? Do you ever share best practices across sports uh, genres and, 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 and things like that? Or is it like, you know, the Hawks live in the Hawks universe, the Braves live in the Braves universe, Falcons live in the Falcons universe. Talk a little bit about that cross pollinization. Uh, from a marketing perspective with the you know the head of marketing for the Braves at our last game and so we definitely communicate with one another whether it's questions especially during the pandemic you know Mm. what are you going through Ah. over there doing vaccinations we're not doing that we're doing voting you're going to do voting next and so as much as we can share best practices but from a target audience standpoint in some ways they're similar as sports fans but in other ways they're incredibly different and Mm -hmm. based on their needs or desires and so we absolutely you know communicate sometimes try to do different community activations together, depending on what it is. In addition to Atlanta United, the MLS team, which ah. is hugely popular yes. you know, in Atlanta and, you know, great folks working there as well. But, you know, we're sports in Atlanta, so it's a pretty small universe. We definitely all know each other, communicates it on panels together. Um, and, it, and it's good. You feel a sense of camaraderie. Mm-hmm. So how does marketing change during the playoffs? Uh, excellent I'm, question. Yeah. I mean, given that that's where we are now, well, how's your day-to-day stuff changing now that we're here? You yep. know, it's interesting because this past season has been unlike any other season we've had before. You know, we had a maximum of, you know, 3,000 fans in the building and literally from our last regular season game went from 3,000 to 16,000. Um, oh, right. So, right. <laughs> I think the popularity of the team, the playoff energy, playing the Knicks, especially in the first round, yep. did a lot where we can communicate that we weren't saying, hey, buy your seats because we didn't have a lot of tickets initially. And so we were able to kind of turn the funnel off and on. We have amazing fans, which is hugely helpful. And but being on the national stage with these playoff games begins to change the conversation. We didn't have a lot of nationally televised games in the past couple of seasons just based on, you know, how the schedule fell. And so it's, it's been an interesting ride, but we've done a lot of partnerships with local influencers, partner with the collab crib, TikTok influencers, because that is next generation Atlanta. Right. So that's mm-hmm. what we really want to hone in on. 
Um, but around the, I mean, across the board, it's really focusing on season ticket membership and growing that through the playoffs and knowing that we want fans to not just jump on a bandwagon for a game, but we want you to be with us from a loyalty standpoint for the long haul. Interesting. Melissa, I, I teach a lot of students here at, at the Wharton School, and the, uh, many of them, more and more of them are asking me about how do I get into the sports business and the sports world? Can you give us in the next minute, just tell us your best advice to young people who are wanting to get into this field? I would tell them to be a great marketer. Don't <laughs> focus on the sport. That is mm -hmm. probably one of my pet peeves. I don't need fans. If you are going to be an email marketer, be amazing at email marketing. Have mm -hmm. case studies and ROI of how you've driven business. And once you do that, you will be amazing at any sports team. There are a million different ways to get there, whether it's through a local agency, through a nonprofit. Mm. People go directly for the team, their leagues. There's so many different ways to get there, but hone the skill in your craft first and foremost. The sport is secondary. Mm. You know, it's so interesting that you say we used to have Americans, I'm sure you know, Ken Shropshire um, used to lead our, I don't know if you know him, but he used to lead our sports initiative here. And many people who came to Penn or Wharton wanted to go into sports. And he said a very similar thing. You have to offer something to them. Like if you be mm. the best marketer, you can be, be the best finance person you can 100%. be, be the best accountant you can be. That's the best way to get into this very glamorous business of mm -hmm. sports. Well, Melissa, it has been a real honor to have you on our show. You're really somebody to, to look up to. And thank you for spending the time, especially during this very busy time for you. Where can our listeners go to keep up with you and everything going on with the Atlanta Hawks? Oh, well, no, absolutely. So hawks.com slash playoffs, all things related to the playoffs in our team. Uh, for myself, I have a website, melissamproctor.com, or I love Instagram. That's my number one uh, channel. So anyone who wants to connect with me at Melissa M. Proctor, and I, I respond. I promise you I will. Well, thank you very much. That's all we have time for today. A big thanks to Professor Americus Fried for being co-host today. We're here every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern time, and we replay our show several times throughout the week. I also want to thank our audio engineer, Dion Simpkins, Chris Tooks, and our producer, Dana Cash. You can follow our show on Twitter on SXM Marketing, and you can follow Business Radio at S. XM Business for information about all our programming. Thank you for listening today. Till then, this has been Marketing Matters. I'm Barbara Khan here with America's Read Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.